This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Page 246, we're in the last letter, the end of the fourth part of the Tanya, letter number 32. 32 is Lev, the heart. There are 32 letters in this part of the Tanya. Half of these letters were appeal letters. The Alter Rebbe was in charge of raising tzedakah, raising the money to support the Jewish community, the Hasidic community, in Israel. This is 100 years before Theodor Herzl. The first ones to make Aliyah to Israel were the Hasidim. And uh, the Alter Rebbe himself took part. He uh, packed his bag, said goodbye, and went along with his mentors. They reached the border, the Turkish border. His Rebbe sent them back to Russia. So he took it upon himself, took the responsibility to raise the funds from the impoverished community of Eastern Europe but nevertheless, in comparison to the community in Israel, they were wealthy. So they put pennies together and whatever it was, and they supported, there was no income, there was no economy in Israel to speak of at that time. It was nothing. It was barren. And Alter Rebbe would send, every year would send an appeal letter to the Hasidim. This was not like the appeal letter that we get in the mail. Every letter is profound, a profound insight into the idea of tzedakah, how powerful tzedakah was. This was a theme, a powerful theme by the Alter Rebbe. Um, he practiced what he preached. When he got married, he married a very, the daughter of one of the wealthiest people in town. And he took his sizable, not in the sizable uh, money that he got for his wedding, and he gave it all to tzedakah to help the Jews set themselves up in the farms to be able to be self-sustaining. So the Alter Rebbe practiced what he preached, and he was tzedakah was the number one thing for him. So even though he was the man of Chabad and the man of intellect, but he wrote, here we have, we have 16 of the letters or appeal letters, 13 of those letters, the whole entire letter discusses tzedakah, the importance of tzedakah, and how powerful tzedakah is, and how special it is. So this is the last letter. You know, someone has to do research if there was a letter every single year, because from when the Alter Rebbe started and took responsibility for Kol Chabad, for the sending money to Israel, till he passed away, it was like 30 years, and we only have 16 letters. So if this was an annual letter, if we have, we don't have all of them, we have. That should be an interesting study. But this is the last letter we have in this letters, in these letters, series of letters that the children included in, in the Tanya.
just like the first letter, he begins with a blessing. He opens, he opens the letter with a blessing. So too here, he opens the letter with a blessing. May Hashem bless your effort and favor the work of your hands. The above blessings which Moses gave the tribe of Levi is understood by our sages to refer to the service in the Holy Temple. This is from the end of Deuteronomy. When Moshe, right before he passed away, he blessed each of the tribes. This was the language, the blessing that Moshe blessed the tribe of Levi. Baruch Hashem Why is Alter Rebbe using this verse of all verses? That's what he's trying to explain now. As to the period of exile when the Beit HaMikdash has not yet been rebuilt, Avot the Rabbanatan states that tzedakah and acts of loving kindness bring about the same atonement as was affected by the Temple service. This may well explain why the Alter Rebbe chooses this particular verse as the text of the blessing that he offered to those who give tzedakah. So the same blessing that was given to the tribe of Levi who were responsible for the service in the Temple, when a Jew gives tzedakah today, that is, that is the substitute for the service in the temple. So he's giving, these, uh, he's giving them the same blessing. So that you may be accepted before Hashem at all times. With this addition, the Alta Rebbe apparently implies that though his readers' tzedakah amounts to no more than a fifth of their earnings, this fifth nevertheless elevates the whole of their income to Hashem, as explained above in time in chapter 34. In this way, not only the effort expended in earning the funds set aside for tzedakah, but with it, the entire work of their hands becomes accepted before Hashem at all times. So he explained in the first part of the Tanya, chapter 34, that when, when a Jew gives tzedakah, it's not just the money that you give to, to tzedakah is elevated to, to godliness, but everything that went into making that money all the work and all the business meetings and all the tireless effort and every single activity that went into to getting you that money is elevated, just like the sacrifice. The sacrifice in the temple, they offered a sheep, but that sheep elevated the whole species of sheep all over the world. So one act has the ability to represent and to elevate. So too, that's what he's adding the word tamid, constantly, that whatever you do should be accepted before Hashem, not only when you're doing something holy, when you're giving tzedakah, of course you're doing something holy, of course that's going to be accepted before Hashem. But he adds at all times, everything that you're doing, everything that you're doing to earn that money, to be able to give that tzedakah, in other words, the other 80% that you're not giving the tzedakah, that's personal and private, all of that is also before Hashem constantly and is, and is elevated and connected. So may Hashem ever continue to grant you His blessings to fortify your hearts among the valiant. This sentence would tend to connect this episode with the good news that the Alter Rebbe received from his Hasidim with regard to the giving of tzedakah. Hence his blessings that Hashem should further strengthen them in a practice whose performance requires one to be valiant in the spirit of the teaching who is valiant. He who conquers his evil inclination, i.e. he who gives even more than he desires. So, so the first letter, Alter Rebbe starts out, Paischim bebracha. I begin with a blessing and the good news that they've established in every community that everyone should learn a tractate. Over the year, everyone should take a, upon themselves to learn one tractate, and the community would divide amongst themselves the entire Shas, entire Talmud. So every single year, every single... It's considered as if, since it was done in partnership, everyone together was considered as if every individual finished the entire Talmud. It's like studying Talmud 
having 10 people studying Talmud, which is superior to one person studying Talmud. So when you study your tractate, another one studies his tractate, everyone together, it's as if everyone together finished the whole entire Talmud, each and every year. And when you're studying, you're not just studying as an individual, you're representing the whole community. So the Rebbe said, started out with good news, starting with a blessing. So too here, he starts at Baruch, with a blessing of the good news. What is the good news he's referring to? He's referring to those who, in every community, throughout Russia, in every community, there was one individual who really took it upon himself to be responsible to raise the funds within that community. So he took the personal responsibility to make sure that every individual in the community should give and participate in the tzedakah. This was an obligation on every single person in the community, but he needed one person to really take it upon himself, to not only to give himself, to uh, teach by example, but also to inspire and to make sure, to get others to give, to make sure that everyone in the community shares and participates and, uh, on, on their level. So he says that to strengthen, Hashem should strengthen, to strengthen the hearts of giborim, of the strong ones. Who is a giver? Who is considered the strong one? It says in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 3, Ezeo gibor, hakoivish is yitzre. Whoever can overcome his evil inclination, whoever can overcome, rise above his nature. By nature, a person hoards money. For a person to be able to give takes tremendous courage, tremendous strength, to be able to go above your nature. So to be able to go above, above the call of duty, it's one thing to follow your obligation, 10%, even 20%. But to be able to give beyond that, that's really stretching. That's really going the extra mile. So that takes gavur, takes inner strength, character, to be able to push yourself to do good deeds that, way, that are way beyond the call of duty and even way beyond your nature. So to be able to exceed your nature, that takes courage, that takes strength. Not only to overcome your evil inclination, to overcome negativity, but so too in the active, in the positive, to do, but do much more, way beyond your nature. Stretch. Most people never do. Most people, most of us live in our comfort zone. We never really, we do what's comfortable. We lift a pinky, it's already a big deal. But to really go beyond our nature and to stretch, you know, you finish your quarter of learning. I'm, I'm already exhausted, I finished, I learned already, I, I, I can't. But to go that extra mile, I gave to Doc, I wrote the check already, but okay, do a little more. I already, I'm out of smiles. I reached my quota of smiles for today. <laughs> you know, the person needs a little encouragement. Find it within you to give that person that smile. That takes courage. That's gavura. That's strength. That's inner strength. To have the character to push. That's what the Rebbe said. Every, the Alter Rebbe was very, very cryptic. Every word is so pregnant with meaning. That's why he's trying to interpret it's not just random that the Rebbe chooses a verse from Zaysa Bracha, from the end of Deuteronomy, and he adds a word, tamid, constant, and he, uses, he chooses the word giboyrim, strong ones. What, is, what does Siddhaq have to do with giboyrim? Everything that the Rebbe is saying is so meaningful and so carefully chosen. That's what he's trying to explain. This is just the introduction to the letter. Okay, continue. 
And he that is generous stands over generous things. This paraphrase evidently means that the public spirit catalyst who motivates others to give is even more praiseworthy than those who actually give. So again, he chooses a verse from Isaiah. And the one who's generous stands over generous things. But he's hinting at, he's referring to, this letter is a letter written about those, to those, and about those who have taken upon themselves to be responsible for others, to make sure that others give. So those who are generous, who stand on top of those who give to make sure that others, others should give. Not only are they generous, because there are those who like to give other people's money. <laughs> you know, the liberals, who many of them don't give even less, give less than 1% of tzedakah. One, less than 1% of their earnings they give to charity. But they're very generous with other people's money. You know, in Yiddish they call it a heisegeber. A heisegeber means a yenegeber. He tells other people to give. Their people are very generous with other people's money. And they're other people's checkbooks. But they themselves, they don't give a penny, personally. Here he's saying, they themselves are generous. The nadiv. They inspire others to give because they, 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 they teach by example. And they are actively getting others to give as well. You'd be great by causing others to act in every city and congregation for he who causes another to act is greater than the doer. This is what this the Talmud way. says. The Talmud says in the beginning of Baba Basra that it's greater. The one who gets others to give is greater than someone who just gives himself. A person who just gives himself is also great. But the one who not only gives himself, but he gets others to give, is even greater. This will be accounted as his act of tzedakah. The tzedakah that you get others to give also accrues to you, goes to you. It's considered as if you've given it, because you caused them to give. It's your, hopefully not twisting their arm, but you... Getting them to give, <laughs> forcing them to give, not shaming them to give, but inspiring them to give, you get the credit. It's as if you gave the tzedakah. So not only do you have your own tzedakah, but you have all this tremendous tzedakah that you've caused others to give. So, you know, a Jew's mission is, say a Jew's mission is submission zich. In Yiddish, submission zich means to get involved, to be active. A Jew's mission is not only to live for yourself. You have to... Help another Jew as well. Sometimes another Jew needs a little help because people don't know what it means to give tzedakah. We live in a day and age where people don't know what it means to give tzedakah. 10% is not even on the radar. Barely 1%. And these are the generous, those who will tell you that they're generous and really believe that they're generous. And you're lucky if you give 1%. Every Jew knows you have to give 10%. But it's simply not part of the radar. 10%? 10%? What are you talking about? What 10%? You know, so it, it, a person who gives tzedakah and doesn't limit himself and is not satisfied with his own giving tzedakah, but he tries to educate others, to teach them, and to educate them, and to train them, and to cajole them, and to prompt them, hello, 10%, it doesn't even belong to you. 
You're not doing anyone any favors if you give 10%. If you don't give 10%, you're simply a thief. It doesn't belong to you. Hashem never gave you that money. It's not yours. That money doesn't belong to you. That money it belongs to your senior partner who's really doing everything. It's called Hashem. And he just trusted you. He trusted you to use your wisdom who to give that money to. But don't for a moment think it's yours. I mean, can you imagine if you had a partner? partner comes to me and says, listen, I'm giving you everything. All I want, I'm really doing everything. All I want is just give me 10% of the profit. Where do I sign up for this partnership? Are you kidding? If you realize that Hashem does everything, and all these, you keep 90%, just give me 10%. I mean, the phone would be ringing off the hook. Rabbi, please, could I drop off my 10%? The rabbi wouldn't have to call but people don't know, people don't think, people don't think straight, or don't realize, they're not aware, they never learn, they never study, they don't know. So a person who gives tzedakah is generous himself, but he commits himself to inspire others to give and to educate others to know what it means to give. At 10% you're not doing anyone any favors, and truly a Jew should be more generous, a Jew should give 20%, and even more, as we learned earlier. So, this person who does this, the tzedakah goes to his credit. Because he inspired, he got the other Jew to give. Without him, the other Jew wouldn't give. So he gets the credit of that tzedakah. This will be accounted as his act of tzedakah. And of him who does the deed, it is said, his tzedakah stands forever. Before now, he spoke about the one who's, who's causing others to give tzedakah. But the one who's actually giving the tzedakah, the one who's writing the check, the Kozi, the one who was inspired to give tzedakah. And his tzedakah, it says, tzedkasai, his righteousness, aimedes. Aimedes is in the feminine. Why would the verse use, why would the Pasuk use the verse, use the feminine tense? It should have said Tzidkasai, his Tzidaka, Tzidkasai. You're talking about the, the masculine. You don't say Tzidkasa, her Tzidaka. Tzidkasai, his Tzidaka. It should have said Tzidkasai, Oymed, will stand La'ad. It doesn't match. It has to match. The feminine has to match the feminine and the masculine the masculine. That's Hebrew. So it doesn't match. It, it, it doesn't say Tzidkasa, Oymedas. Tzidkasai in the, in the masculine. It should have said Tzidkasai, Oymed. So the Rebbe explains. The verb medit is a feminine gender, which suggests a recipient, because this donor receives the charitable arousal of a pure heart from him, who is great by causing others to act. Had he been roused to give tzedakah of his own accord, he would have been considered a true giver. We're talking about a case, a person who gives tzedakah, like in the feminine sense, he's on the receiving end. He's not giving tzedakah in his own initiative. He needs prompting. He needs help. He needs someone to encourage him to give tzedakah. He needs a push. So that's the difference in this, in this case between the masculine and the feminine. The masculine is the, is the initiator. The masculine is the one who's giving. The feminine is the one who's receiving. The feminine energy. And here, his tzedakah is in response to someone prompting him and pushing him and inspiring him to give. So that's why the Torah uses, the verse uses the feminine but even such a person, Jay continue, even such a person, nevertheless, now, 
that's what, even though this tzedakah is not the ideal level of tzedakah, because it's a person who's not giving on his own, who's not taking the initiative, who doesn't have the recognition and, the, and understands what it means to give tzedakah. He needs a push. But the bottom line is, he was inspired to give, and he is giving. So that tzedakah will stand forever. Meaning, this means... This means all the acts of charity and kindness that Jews perform in this world out of the generosity of their hearts are alive and endure in this physical world until the time of the resurrection. He uses an unusual, unusual language. He says that the mitzvah, the act of tzedakah, is alive. The money that you give tzedakah, the hand that gives the tzedakah, this act, this physical act, is alive and it endures in this physical world until the time of the resurrection. We know that every mitzvah has spiritual implications. Even though we don't see it, but we believe it and we know it's true. Just like you don't see when the NASA scientists are sitting in the wherever he's sitting there, and he's pressing the button and millions of miles away, things happening millions of miles away. So when you do a mitzvah, you don't see the repercussions. You don't realize the epic repercussions of your single act, your single mitzvah. On the spiritual realm, when you do an act of tzedakah, it says when you give tzedakah in honor of your parent, in honor of a loved one, they feel it in heaven, in the Garden of Eden, they feel it. And the Zohar describes the tremendous repercussions and the, you know, the implication of that single act is, is so beyond, beyond description. So when the Jew gives tzedakah, it has repercussions <laughs> in the divine realm. But usually it's explained that when you give tzedakah, it's like putting money away in a bank, in a bank account, in a vault put away in Switzerland somewhere, it's put away in the divine realm of Atzillus, the world of emanation. You draw down godly lights and it has, but it's stored away. It's in the divine world of emanation. We don't feel it, we don't sense it. We don't feel the repercussions. Here he's saying that the act of tzedakah is alive and it, and it endures in the physical world. It's not just an act that has some repercussions, implications in another realm. But it's actually alive in this physical world until the time of the resurrection. What does this mean? So the Maggid of Mizrich, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Maggid of Mizrich says that when a Jew does a mitzvah, let's say the tzitzis, you take the tzitzis, you do a mitzvah, before a Jew wears the tzitzis, it's just, it's all it is, it's just string taken from the wool of an animal has no holiness. It's nothing. The moment the Jew puts on this talus, it becomes holy. These tzitzis come alive. Everything that's written in the Torah about the tzitzis, in the written Torah, and the oral Torah, and all the divine implications of the tzitzis and all the divine repercussions only happens when a Jew puts on the talus and wears the tzitzis. Then it becomes a mitzvah. That's what it says in the Torah. You should do the mitzvot, v'chai behem. The, the Maggid says, the Torah is telling us, the mitzvah comes alive. These strings come alive. Before that, all it is is just a thread. It's nothing. But when you put it on, when you do the mitzvah, 
then it comes alive. The physical thing comes alive. When a Jew puts on the tefillin, it's all a mitzvah is something else. A mitzvah is a whole different level. A, whole, a mitzvah is Hashem Himself, is His will. When, when, a, when a Jew puts on the tefillin, it's when the act of putting on the tefillin that you actually make it come alive. Everything that happens when you put on tefillin only happens when the Jew puts it on. So the Jew has the power. Hashem empowered the Jew to actually make the physical come alive. It becomes eternal. Because when you do a mitzvah with it, and you connect it with the divine, with Hashem, with Hashem's will, you are drawing down all the divine energies and, and Hashem's will and Hashem Himself. Suddenly this physical tzitzis come alive. And that's what he says. In the physical world, it's not just the implications or repercussions, you do a mitzvah in the spiritual realms, and the divine realms. No. The physical mitzvah actually comes alive and it endures until the time of the resurrection. And that's why it says, uh, I think the, uh, one of the Hasidic masters explains, based on this interpretation of the Magid of Mizrich, it says, Moshe Rabbeinu pleaded, Next week's Torah portion, Moshe pleads with Hashem to go into the land of Israel. The measure says, why did he plead to go into the land of Israel? He says, because I want the mitzvah, I want the mitzvahs to be alive through me. It should have said, I want to be alive to fulfill the mitzvah. But it says, no, I want the mitzvah to be done through me. Because when a Jew does a mitzvah, and especially if it's a Jew like Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu does a mitzvah, the mitzvah come alive. The physical, mit, the physical object with which he's doing the mitzvah, the mitzvah comes alive only when the Jew does the mitzvah. So Moshe says, I want the mitzvah to be alive through me. When I'll do the mitzvah, it'll be a whole different life and, 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 and mitzvah. So that only happens when the Jew physically does the mitzvah in this physical world. And that's what he says. When a Jew does tzedakah, this act of tzedakah, this mitzvah is alive. And it endures in the physical world until the time of the resurrection. Continue. So that will be the time of the manifestation of divinity and of the infinite Ain't So, the level of Sovet Polamim in this world. This degree of spiritual illumination which transcends all created worlds will be fully revealed in this world at the time of the resurrection, as explained at length in last year's letter. So this is letter number 17 that we uh, already learned. It's uh, on, online, tanyaclass.com. It's already online at great length. Uh, it's an unbelievable letter. It's worthwhile to listen. And you can also listen on podcasts, so you can listen quicker. <laughs> you can quicken the pace. Alter Rebbe explains that the classical argument between Nachmanides and Maimonides. Which is the ultimate reward? Is it in the afterlife or is it resurrection? So Maimonides holds, the Rambam holds, it's the afterlife. The resurrection is just a reward because the body suffered so long and so many years, you have to give the body some reward. So the resurrection will be temporary and then the soul will return back to its ultimate reward the afterlife. But Nachmanides and all the Kabbalists disagree and, and the Hasidus uh, Paskins like the Nachmanides and the Kabbalists that the resurrection is the ultimate reward in this world when the soul will return into the body. The souls of Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov who are in Ganeden for 3,800 years 
and are growing in leaps and bounds each and every day, and yet they can't wait to come back to this world, to return to this world in the body, in the physical form, that will be the ultimate reward. Whatever experience they're experiencing in, in Gan Eden and the highest levels of Gan Eden is nothing in comparison to the level of godliness that the soul will experience when it returns to the body in this physical world. And he explains there because the whole Gan Eden is only the level of Hashem filling all the worlds which is only a, a glimmer of a ray versus the revelation of Hashem's infinite self will only be during the time of the resurrection which is why the dead will come to life. Because only in, in relation to Hashem's infinite self, death and life is all the same, and therefore Hashem could, re, will resurrect the, the dead. And there will be an intense revelation of the infinite level of Hashem. So, what is... Now he's going to explain what is the vessel for this revelation. What is the vehicle and the vessel to receive this intense revelation? That is the act of tzedakah and the generosity, and the kindness. A person's generosity and kindness, this is the vessel, an act of tzedakah, this is the vessel that will receive this infinite light. So, this tzedakah that a Jew gives in this world, even if the Jew didn't take the initiative, he was almost forced to give the tzedakah, and he was encouraged to give the tzedakah, he had to be encouraged, because he doesn't have the strength on his own to give the tzedakah. But the bottom line is, nevertheless, he gave the tzedakah. That act of tzedakah is so powerful that this is the vehicle and the vessel to receive this infinite revelation, which will only be revealed during the resurrection. So even though this act of tzedakah is alive and it endures, but right now, this, the infinite light is concealed. We can't receive it. This act of tzedakah endures, is alive and endures till the time of the resurrection when it will be able to openly receive this infinite light, this intense revelation. For there needs to be a vessel and an abode wherein the infinite in self light can vest itself, just as the body is a vessel to the soul, metaphorically speaking. So everything needs, there's a body and there's a soul. Everything needs a vessel. Even the revelation of the infinite light also needs a vessel to be able to receive it. Continue. Thus it is written, For my word is like fire, just as fire does not radiate in this world, except when it is attached to and invests itself in the way. So too, if divinity is to illuminate this world, it too must be able to attach itself to something in this world, which, like a wick, will be wholly subjugated to the divine flame and consumed by it. Let's explain that story. At the end of the Tanya, at the end of the first part of the Tanya, you know, the fire, without something to hold the fire, the fire would just disappear. Fire needs something to hold on to. And it needs something to feed the fire. So this intense revelation, in order for us to receive this intense revelation without being obliterated by it, that we should remain in existence, that's the definition of a fire. If you have no, if you have no oil, if you just have a wick, what happens? It goes right out. It just burns and finishes. Oh, a candle is something that's sustainable. You want a candle, you want the fire to last. Sustainable, to give off light. You should benefit from the light. If you just have fire, you have nothing. If you just have oil, also, you need a candle. You need a, you need a, you need a wick. It's only the combination of the wick and the oil. 
So the wick is the Jew, the individual. The oil is the good deeds, the chesed, the act of chesed. It's only when you combine those two that you can have a sustainable flame. So in order for us to, re- to continue to remain in existence and to be able to receive the infinite light, to benefit from the infinite light, that the infinite light should illuminate us, we should be able to receive it. That's only through the act of tzedakah. This is the act that sustains. This is the vessel. This is the candle that holds. It's the Jew plus the good deed. The Jew alone is not enough. The Jew alone is like a wick. The wick would burn up. It's only when you have the combination of the Jew with a good deed, doing good deeds, doing an act of tzedakah. When you do an act of tzedakah, this is able to sustain and contain and retain this light. And then it becomes a sustainable light that you can feel and sense and it inspires you and it illuminates you. So this act of tzedakah, this is the vessel which draws down and is able to receive and, and this infinite light. And then this infinite light will illuminate this world. This, will, this light will fill this world. The body and the vessel for God's light is the attribute of kindness and generosity of the heart whereby one gives and infuses vitality to him who has nothing of his own. Generosity with a smile, empathy with a pauper, this is the vessel for God's infinite life. It's not just the act of giving, but it's also how you give, the quality, not just the quantity, not just the check, but it's the smile and how you give and uh, the kindness, the generosity. To be a giver, to enjoy giving, because that's how we emulate Hashem. Hashem gives, That's what Hashem does. Hashem gives. Hashem creates. Sustains. Whatever we have, He's constantly giving. And it's a pure act of tzedakah, because surely we don't deserve it. He doesn't owe us anything. Surely He doesn't owe us anything. And yet He continues to give, and give, and give again. And every day the sun is out, shining, a brand new day. We deserve, we don't deserve. Hashem doesn't grow tired of us. And He gives again. It's a pure, gratuitous act of tzedakah. So when you emulate Hashem and you also give, even, and you give generously and, and with, with, with empathy, you know, there's no ego. It's not that I am the giver and the pauper is the receiver and you make it very clear who the giver is and who the receiver is. But you give like Hashem gives. There's absolutely no ego. It's purely egoless. It's godly just like the way Hashem gives. Hashem doesn't make us feel bad. Hashem makes us, just gives. And so too we give. So when we give in that way, that's the vessel. Because a person who gives out of arrogance, out of ego, that's not a vessel for godliness and surely not a vessel for the infinite light. It's not a vessel for Hashem. That's one thing Hashem cannot tolerate is ego and arrogance. Hashem can tolerate everything. Tolerate sin, one thing he can't tolerate, as the Gemara says in Saita, Hashem cannot tolerate arrogance. Hashem says, a sinner I can live with. We just read last week. Hashem, I can, Hashem is infinite, his patience is infinite. He can live with a sinner. Find a Jew who's not a sinner, but is so full of himself and so arrogant and so taken by himself and so self-centered and self-absorbed. Hashem says, I cannot be the same four cubits as this person. I hate this person. 
Can you imagine? Hashem is infinite. His patience is infinite, but he has no patience for anyone who's arrogant. So you can't be a vessel and a vehicle for Hashem, for his infinite self, if the tzedakah that you give is filled with arrogance, if it's filled with ulterior motives. Unless it's pure and it's genuine and it's authentic and it's heartfelt and you're just there to help. Because that's what Hashem does. And you emulate Hashem. Hashem gives. Everything we have comes from Hashem. He doesn't know it's a thing. It's a pure act of tzedakah. So I, in turn, also become godly. How do I become godly? If I, in turn, also become a giver. I share whatever gifts Hashem gave me, whatever talents, abilities Hashem gave me, I, in turn, become a giver. I'm not doing anyone any favors. This is my privilege to be able to be like Hashem. And just like He gave me, I, in turn, give. So I don't just live for myself. I'm here to help another person as well and to make sure to help another person with so own less fortune. Thus, it was stated in the Tikkunian, and you have prepared many bodies for illumination of the spirit, and they are described in the following manner. Chesed, the right arm, just as Chesed is the supernal right arm, so too is man's corresponding attribute of kindness, the appropriate vessel for revelation and benefactions from that source. It says in Sefer Habo here that, uh, that the, the attribute of kindness of the world of emanation compla- complained to Hashem or, or was jealous and said that ever since Avraham came into this world, I am totally redundant. Because Avraham's kindness was so much greater, so much more impressive than the kindness of the attribute of kindness of the divine world of emanation. Because the fact that in this physical world, a human being in this physical world, like Avram, was able to be so generous, it was totally beyond, beyond belief. Avram didn't give 10%. didn't give 20%. Maybe he kept for himself 10%. <laughs> Avram, just, his tent was totally open. Whatever he had, he gave. Not only did he share his wealth, he shared his spiritual wealth. He shared his faith. He shared his, 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 his intellect. He shared his learning, his scholarship. He wrote books, as Maimonides says. He publicized Hashem. He set up a court. He set up an Eshel, a five-star hotel, seven-star hotel. He gave people everything they needed. Uh, he hosted them. He even, the Medr says, even if they needed a court case, they, need, they had a dispute, he helped them. He helped them in any way possible whatever gifts he had, and he shared of his time, his precious time. Avram was an incredible intellectual and mystic par excellence. Sefer HaYitzirah, the oldest book of Kabbalah, was written by him. And uh, he shared everything, everything he had, his time and his, his knowledge, and his, he shared with everyone, without discriminating. Even those who bowed down to the dust of their feet, he fi- found the time to bring them in and teach them and to teach them that there's a God in this world and to get them to convert to monotheism and to get them in turn also to become generous and kind. Abram had a whole huge following. So this type of kindness, this level of kindness, of giving, this was superhuman. This was not just a human type of kindness. This was a reflection of Hashem. It was based on a deep-seated acknowledgement of Hashem, understanding the workings of creation, how Hashem is giving and Hashem is creating. The whole world is based on Hashem's kindness. And, uh, and in turn, Avram also became a giver, gushing with goodness and kindness and giving and giving. And He was like a son. He was constantly giving and, and inexhaustible 
reservoir of energy that he had all of his life, 175 years of constantly giving. And uh, this was divine and godly. This wasn't just uh, he was a nice guy and he liked doing kindness. You know, he, he, he got a kick out of it. He was a liberal and he was hopelessly nice and he just liked to give. This was a, this was a godly type of giving. So the attribute of kindness, of the world of emanation, the divine attribute, was jealous of Avram. He says, since Avram entered into the scene, I'm out of business. Avram is so much superior to me. Avram's kindness is so much more impressive and it's, it's so much deeper and more profound. So when a person does kindness, just like the kindness of the world of emanation is like the body to Hashem, and it receives, just like your arm is the body too, receives your act of kindness, your soul. So the body, the vessel of the world of emanation, chesed is a body to Hashem. So too, when a Jew does kindness in this world, and you do it generously, egolessly, your act of kindness not only comes alive, but is a vessel for the divine, for the divine attribute of kindness. And, he says, it's not just the divine attribute of kindness. Continue, moreover. Moreover, the entire body is included in the right side, which is its mainstay. It says that every mitzvah is an organ of Hashem. The 248 mitzvah like the 248 organs. The organ, just like the human organ, the human body, the body is unified with the soul. When I look at you, I look at your body, what am I looking at? I'm not looking at your body, I'm looking at you. Your soul, your personality, your character, your soul. The body is a vessel and a vehicle, becomes inseparable from the soul. So when you do a mitzvah, which is Hashem's organ, it's not just an organ, you have Hashem. When I pull you by the arm, who am I pulling? Am I, am I just getting your arm? When I'm pulling you by the arm, I'm getting the whole person. It's not just I'm pulling one organ. When I'm schlepping you by the, by the arm, I'm schlepping the whole person. So even though it's just one mitzvah, one attribute of Hashem, the act of kindness, but it happens to be the act of kindness is primary. Everything is included in this arm. When I pull the right arm and I'm pulling Hashem's arm, so to speak, I'm, I'm pulling Hashem. I'm getting everything. I'm getting the whole, not just one part of Hashem, so to speak. So the whole body is included in the right side, which is the mainstay. And most of the mitzvot you do with your arms and with your right arm. And this is what the, the, uh, the poet, which is part of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, continue, thus too. Thus too, wrote the liturgical poet, his garment is tzedakah. Tzedakah, unqualified, is the garment which garbs and screens the entire supernal body, thereby enabling mortals here below to receive the infinite revelation of divinity. So when you have tzedakah, you don't just have one part, but you have everything, you have the whole. So when you have the whole garment, you're able to receive the infinite, infinite itself. The whole entire revelation of the infinite. Because as he explains elsewhere, that you know, the Arizal writes that the, the soul has to be reincarnated many times. Every soul must come down into this world many times until the soul fulfills all 613 mitzvah. Because every mitzvah brings, gives you another garment to your soul. And the garment is the only way that the soul is able to receive the infinite light. 
because otherwise it's too intense. The soul will be completely nullified. You know, just like a person needs protection from the sun, from radiation, too intense light will just destroy you. So the, inf- the Hashem's light is too intense. So the soul, in order to receive this infinite light, the soul needs a garment. And that's the garment is the mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, every mitzvah gives a different part of your body, different part of your soul, a different garment. 248 limbs, 248 uh, garments. If you're missing one mitzvah, you have 612, you're missing one mitzvah, you're not protected, you're not shielded. The soul will be completely nullified, can't handle the infinite light. But he's saying here that the, the, the tzedakah, levushay tzedakah, he quotes the, the tefillah of Rishon Yom Kippur, tzedakah is the entire garment. Because when you have tzedakah, you have everything. If you have the right hand, everything is included in the right. When you have the right hand, you have tzedakah, everything is included. As, he, as he, we learned earlier in the first part of the Tanya, he points out that whenever the Jerusalem Talmud refers to mitzvah, without any adjective, just the mitzvah, the 630 mitzvah, which mitzvah is he referring to? Tzedakah. Because there's only one mitzvah that encompasses all 630 mitzvahs, and that's tzedakah. Because tzedakah captures the essence of what all the mitzvahs are all about. Money is the ultimate ego symbol, and by giving money and giving tzedakah, that is the whole theme of all the mitzvot. To take the physical, the ego, and transform it into something godly. So he says when you give tzedakah, you have the garment, you have the whole entire garment for the entire soul. And therefore, now you're able to receive the infinite light. That's why the act of tzedakah, this is the vessel, this is the garment that enables you, that will enable us in the time of the resurrection to receive and to absorb the infinite light of Hashem without being nullified. This is the meaning of what our sages of blessed memory said. Charity is recompensed only accordingly to the kindness within it. As it's written, so for yourself, Tzedaka, reap according to the kindness. Why is Tzedaka alluded to a sowing and, to, and its reward its reaping? For a harvest is the manifestation of the seed hidden in the soil. It is likewise with the charity and kindness that Jews perform in the time of exile. It too is hidden and concealed until the time of the resurrection, when the infinite angel of light will vest itself and radiate in this physical world. So right now we are in the planting stage. You know, when you run business the first uh, few decades, you're just planting. You're not reaping. <laughs> it's a lot of planting. The time for the retirement or for the reaping, that's later. But right now you're just reinvesting and you're reaping and you're planting and you're, you know. The, the rewards will come eventually. The, uh, the power of compounding, it takes time. There's no, there's no, there's no shortcuts time. You sow and then you will reap. So right now we are in the sowing stage. This world is like a garden. We're sowing. We're planting. And you plant, there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of fertilizers, a lot of blood, a lot of sacrifice. We're planting. But eventually we're going to reap what we sow. 
Every mitzvah that we've done is alive and endures, as he said earlier. Every good deed is eternal. Every penny that we give to tzedakah, every act of goodness that we do is eternal and is alive and eternal and endures. We won't see the results until the time of the resurrection. But it's there. The potential is there today. The seed is there. It's all in the seed. When you look at the seed, you don't just see the seed. You see the future. A gardener doesn't look at the seed. He sees the tree. You don't see it now. Right now all I see is the seed. So right now you see the sweat, the toil, the sacrifice, the difficulties. You don't see, you can't envision, you can't imagine how from this tiny little seed, how, how do you get from this seed to that lush tree? So it's all there. It's all here. Potentially it's all here. Everything is here. The redemption, everything that's going to happen in the future is already here now. Potential. But it won't be revealed. It won't emerge until the future. So that's why the verse says in Hosea, Zirulachem, plant tzedakah. And then you will reap according to the kindness. This ultimate blessure and revelation does resembles the harvest of the tzedakah. Moreover, as the Alta Rebbe now explains, God's vestiture and revelation at the time of the resurrection resembles and even surpasses his vestiture and revelation within the vessels of the Sephirot in the world of Asilu. Which is an astonishing statement to say that Hashem is more unified with the act of the physical act of tzedakah, the hand that gave tzedakah and the dollars that you gave and this physical act will be the vessel for Hashem's infinite self and will become one and inseparable with Hashem's infinite self. That's a much deeper unity than the unity of Hashem in the divine world of emanation, in the divine world of unity, which is the ultimate world of unity. But that's limited. That's only a revelation of Hashem. That's only a glimmer of Hashem. But in this world... During the time of the resurrection, Hashem's infinite self will be revealed. Hashem's infinite self that transcends even the world of emanation, that transcends the whole universe, the whole frame of reference of the universe. And that will be fully revealed in this world. The ultimate revelation, the most intense revelation of godliness will be in the physical world. And that's why the soul will return to the body. The souls who are in the Garden of Eden for thousands of years or enjoying and experiencing the most intense spiritual revelations which are completely unimaginable to us. And yet, that is nothing in comparison to the intense revelation of Hashem's infinite self that we are going to experience during the time of the resurrection. And that will only be in the physical world. So the hand that gives the tzedakah and the physical act of tzedakah will become unified with Hashem in the most intense unity a more intense unity than the unity of the vessel of chesed, the divine attribute of chesed with Hashem. For he is one with his causations, i.e. with the kalim, literally vessels of the tenth sphere out of its silhouette. They are utterly fused with the infinite light that is revealed in them, as explained above in episode 20. Just like the body. The body is not the soul. The soul exists before the body, the soul exists after the body. The body is separate from the soul. But yet, when the person is alive, the body is inseparable from the soul. Where does the body end? Where does the soul begin? Every cell, every cell, all 100 trillion cells is alive. 
it's not like a machine. The soul is not a machine. It's not an engine, a motor that causes your hand to move. The body is alive. You put a dead corpse next to a living person, you, can, you can't even... A dead corpse is a piece of clay. You ever saw a person die? It's a piece of clay. Dead. A person is alive, you're alive. Your body is alive. It's not a machine. When you cut your finger, it hurts. It's alive. It's inseparable. The body becomes completely one and inseparable from the soul. I don't know where the soul ends and the body begins. The body-soul connection. So too the world, the divine world of emanation. When you say the vessel, the vessel is like a body. It becomes like a body to Hashem. Of course, Hashem is not chesed. Chesed is a definition. Hashem is undefined. But the body becomes, the, the attribute of chesed, of kindness, becomes like a body to Hashem and becomes inseparable from Hashem. One, unified. But nevertheless, he's going to say, the, the unification that Hashem will have with our selves, with the hand and the, uh, the gift tzedakah and the body and the Jew who gave tzedakah and the act of tzedakah in this world will be even a greater level of unity. Thus, how much more so with regard to the infinite and of light which encompassed all worlds, Sovet Kalalman, from far higher than the level of absolute, that permeates absolute, is wholly one with the light that shines into it. Then the vessel that receives an infinitely higher degree of illumination must surely be wholly one with it, absorbing and integrating this illumination within itself, this latter vessel of tzedakah. So the, the unity... If we are able to receive and absorb this infinite light, which is transcends and is greater than the light of the world of emanation, which is just a glimmer of a ray, so the unification has to be even more intense and more powerful. We're going to become completely one and one with Hashem, a much, much deeper unity. Okay, now he's going to explain another reason why it's, it says tzedakah in the feminine, a medis. The question was, Sidkasa is the, is the masculine. It should have said, Oymed. Why does it say Sidkasa Oymedes? So before he explained, because we're talking about a tzedakah that the person who gave the tzedakah had to be prompted to give. He was like in the receiving end. He had to be prompted and forced to give. But now he's going to give another reason why it says in the feminine. This is why charity is called tzedakah, noun of feminine gender. In the above quoted phrase, his tzedakah stands forever. Correspondingly, the verb here translated stands or endures, omedet, also in the feminine form, which it will be recalled puts tzedakah in the light of a recipient. For it receives a radiation from the infinite answer of light that encompasses all worlds, which vests itself in it and it is revealed in it in this physical world at the time of the resurrection. Not only is the feminine gender used because, as explained earlier, Adonah may receive his motivation from another, but also because Sadaka itself is a feminine recipient. It is man's vessel or receptor for the transcendent light of Hashem. Because the Sadaka is, receives. This is the vessel that enables us to receive Hashem's infinite light. So Sadaka is the ultimate vessel that enables us. That's why it's feminine, because it's a receiver. Tzedakah is the ultimate vessel that enables us to receive and to become one and to absorb the infinite light, which will be completely revealed to us in its intense form, most intense form, ultimately revealed during the times of the resurrection. 
This comes about through our tzedakah. So the tzedakah that we do today, this is a medis. It stands, it endures, and this will receive, this is the feminine, because this will receive the infinite, infinite light. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.